0: Purchase new wiper blades from O'Reilly Auto Parts today and we'll install them for free. See better and drive safer with O'Reilly Auto Parts. Oh, 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 O'Reilly Auto Parts.
1: The Westwood One Podcast Network. Ooh,
2: ooh, never quit. Ooh, never quit. He never
1: quit. Radio.
3: LinkedIn Jobs quickly matches your roles with candidates with the right skills and experience. In fact, 86% of small businesses get a qualified candidate within 24 hours. Post your first job for free and get started at linkedin.com slash spoken. That's linkedin.com slash spoken. Terms and conditions apply.
2: Hey there, Team Never Quit Nation. Welcome back to another episode of the podcast. I hope you guys had a wonderful Christmas holiday. Um, I am joined today by Marcus and his wife, Melanie, and we have got an awesome guest, Dan Crenshaw. U.S. Congressman, retired Navy SEAL. We're excited to have him back on the show. Can't wait to get to his to his talk. But speaking of Christmas, we've got a Patreon question of the day from Rebecca. Marcus, she asks you, what was your favorite Christmas present to ever receive in your whole life? Favorite Christmas present? My brother got me a boot knife when I was like eight or nine, and my mom took it right away, like the same day, and I was so mad. I mean, oh,
1: uh, my Red Ryder BB gun.
2: I mean, come on, yeah. That's a classic.
1: Right? And uh, I remember when the Nintendo came out, we got that, uh, the video game. Uh, oh,
2: Super Nintendo? No, no. Or the one no, before no, no. that? No, yeah, oh. Nintendo. <laughs> Nintendo. Okay. <laughs> okay. Wasn't Super yet. Uh, three-wheeler? Three-wheeler. Was a big one? I remember bikes were something I was always excited to get. Oh, yeah, new get. bicycle, I mean, man. It was like the best. Uh, Especially with some pegs. Man. I don't know why your parents thought pegs were like dangerous.
1: Because uh, you're riding your, cause your buddies. Because your buddies are always, always in the back, around, some yeah. on the
2: front. Love some pegs. <laughs> what else? I'm trying to think of other amazing ones. Okay, let's flip the question around. What is the best Christmas present you've ever given? Ha oh. that one's a hard one too.
1: Yeah, because you don't know how each gift affects somebody. Exactly. So we've, yeah, we 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 rebuild homes for people. Uh,
2: yeah, I feel like those are definitely the most impactful gifts.
1: I, okay, I'll tell you one of the most memorable gifts I ever got for Christmas was when I was overseas and the soldiers angels boxes showed up and I, I didn't have my name on it or anything like that. And I, I, I purposely told the family, like, you don't send me any stuff. Cause when, when you deploy, it's not the holidays. Holidays completely change your perspective, right? It's one time that where everyone tries to be good and, and do good things. And in all actuality, your new year's resolution would be to keep the Christmas spirit till Christmas. Right. And, uh, when uh, the the soldiers angels box, I just grabbed one and walked to my room and opened it up and had a pair of socks in it and I was you know, I needed some of those and it had uh, some DVDs whatnot. But as far as the best gift I've ever given,
2: I think I just remembered my favorite gift I've ever received. So we grew up a little, well, we grew up pretty poor, like really poor actually. And uh, I remember I was like fourth grade. I got pulled aside by my teacher, and she's like, "Hey, uh, you need to go down to the counselor's office." And I was like, "Okay, cool." Not really sure what's up. And I got there, and they had a gift wrap for me, and it was for it was from the Toys for Tots organization. And uh, you know, I guess they know which kids don't have a lot of money, and so they had gotten me a set of walkie talkies. And that was the most memorable memorable gift I'd ever received because it was like we like we didn't have a lot, you know. Mom couldn't really get too much, and she did what she could, but. To have a gift that felt like so high-tech at that age was really cool. And I think it was like two-mile radius, too. So I was like, man, I'm about to get into some trouble with these.
1: My mom, yeah, so a couple of Christmases, my mom re-wrapped old presents, some board <laughs> games. Uh, went, she wrapped the Monopoly game one time. We opened it up, and then we all played Monopoly that day. It was pretty cool. And I, yeah, I got a, I got my first horse on Christmas.
2: Oh, that's cool. That's a and, good um, gift.
1: And um, if uh, thinking through that... But it was cool. It taught me responsibility because I had to go down there and fool with him every day and put him in and the lead line and feed him, clean the stalls and, and do all um, that. That's cool. Maintenance. And then Rigby and I got paired up around Christmas time. Really? Yeah. Close
2: to it. It's a gift that keeps giving there. Love that pup. Yeah. And then I got married at the end of November. That was a great Christmas present. That was a Christmas present. present. Mm-hmm. Well. Rebecca, thanks for asking your question. If you guys ever want to ask a question on an episode join us on patreon patreon.com slash team never quit get rare access to the guests and behind the scenes content marcus will actually do some q a's there send out some really cool unique gear uh, a challenge coin that can only be gotten if you're a part of our patreon community so check that out patreon.com slash team never quit let's get to mr congressman dan crinshaw
3: when you were running, you ran an awesome campaign. Literally. Um, literally ran yeah.
1: through the district.
3: You literally <laughs> ran and you True. figuratively Which was cool. ran. Um, so what's your freshman year been like?
0: Well, it, it's been unique um, <laughs> in so many ways, right? Because the whole Saturday Night Live thing, that, you know, last time we did this podcast. Good job on that, on that did, by the happened, way. Uh, but, but, yeah. Thank you. Uh, I'm very funny, as you know. So, you know, that hadn't happened. Like, when, last time I was on a podcast, I was just I was just trying to get people to know who I am. And just just like anybody running for office, you're, you're just trying to get people to know you and have some kind of a positive view of you. Uh, that's basically what running for office is. And so uh, then Saturday Night Live happened, like, basically right during the election. So, you know, I went on the show like a week after I got elected. And then uh, everything sort of spiraled from there. And then I kind of show up to Congress and I'm— a little bit more well known than uh, than most freshmen, except for AOC, obviously. And then, uh, it's our, our freshman class as a whole, I think, has been very unique in, in that respect, just because of the profiles that that showed up there. But, you know, and then the next step once you have that kind of notoriety is to not screw it up. And so I've tried very hard not to do that by. By not by not writing off the coattails of some SNL performance because that was cool and all, but it was you know it's it has nothing to do with my actual job.
1: Oh, bro, hey, like I can man, I was standing across the street from the SNL building the night that all that was going down, and uh, I was like, man, it sure yeah. would be it sure would be cool if you could go on that show and and uh, and do that. And when you you did it, man, I, it was awesome. And don't worry about I was thinking about now you not, you had to worry about screwing up, man. You never forget, you're a Navy seal. Like, it's been shot in the face. So when you walked, I mean, that's, you get a little latitude for that. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Everybody <laughs> else just came out of whatever. <laughs> Not only did you go out there and put foot to <laughs> ass for God and country, man, then you, go you know, and lo, lost an eye and, butt, I mean, look at what, all the stuff we've been through. But going on SNL, I had to be, it's kind of like walking back in the platoon space as the as the OIC, right?
0: <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, I'll, and I'll, I'll talk about that for a little bit, because there's some kind of Funny behind-the-scenes stories that not, that not a lot of people know about, and it's uh, and I get asked about this stuff all the time. So all, this whole thing goes down on uh, Sunday morning, right? Well, because well, that's when I find out about it. It's, it's Sunday morning. My election is like two days away, so I'm I I, I don't really appreciate the gravity of it all um, right away. The gravity of it all right away. I don't think "gravity" is a word, but whatever, we can erase that. yeah. No, that was Uh so yeah, I didn't appreciate it. Oh, the we're gonna put that on a t shirt with I, I, your I, I, picture on it. <laughs> gravity Grav- <laughs> gravitude. <laughs> earn earn your gravity Appreciate right? your, That's your that, gratitude. That all. <laughs> I love it. That's awesome. I love it. <laughs> uh so I didn't appreciate the gravity of it all, but the because I was trying I had events that day. I was I you know, you gotta go I gotta go to church and then I gotta go shake hands, I gotta meet volunteers, they gotta go to this like uh this event we had out in Huffman, um, you know, the good people at Huffman at this place called the uh the tin cup, so it's just a solid bar out there that we do 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 events at. And like that that's the kind of stuff that you're doing before an election. And so like it because I'd never really been in media, at least not in a big way before that, like I just didn't understand the gravity of it all. You know, I I didn't understand why I had to to make a statement and and deal with this. It it, it seemed annoying at the time. And um, so we struggled through like what to say and kind of, you know, how I felt, which was kind of ambiguous at best. Um, And, um, and then, you know, a couple of days passed. these sort of like outrage sort you know, going strong um, throughout the country and, I guess understandably so. That's a whole other subject about kind of how we react as a country to these things. But you know, eventually, Lord Michaels reaches out and he's like, "Hey, why don't you come on the show on Saturday? We can uh, we can make a show out of this." And I said, "Well, I mean, it's Veterans Day weekend, so I don't really. I already have a bunch of plans that I've I've scheduled. I, I can't really do it this weekend. But I'm open to the idea. Maybe we do it another weekend." And um, he's like, "No, it has to be this weekend because because it's Veterans Day." And because you know we kind of messed up and insulted a wounded veteran, so we'd really like to make amends on the Veterans Day weekend. And I said, yeah, I mean that. I said that makes sense. I mean I, I understood what he was getting at there. And we agreed to it. And flew into New York Friday. You, you start out by like going through the scripts and, and doing all these dry runs and, and seeing if the jokes land or not. A lot of them did it. We had some of our ideas, so we. It, it, it's kind of just a it's a neat creative process that you do. Right there, Uh, we had a dressing room uh, next to Robert De Niro's dressing room, of all people. (laughs) That was was really interesting. And then, uh, yeah, and uh, (laughs) he he had on Rachel Maddow the whole time. I could hear Rachel Maddow coming out from his dressing room, which I thought was a little strange. (laughs) But uh, but it 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 might explain why he gets so angry at Donald Trump. Uh, If (laughs) you listen, (laughs) at all the entire time, right? (laughs) so. So, uh, so so, we come back Saturday. We, you know, we're refining the script a little bit. Saturday night, you do like a, a live audience rehearsal. So you, they go through the entire show twice on Saturday night. Uh, the first time, live TV, but it's through a live audience. What they're doing with that is they're testing the jokes, yeah, and they're, they're seeing what lands and what doesn't. And uh, and then they and then we all count. Kind of, we all rush back to Lauren Michaels' office. This is all in a very small, compact place, by the way. There's like. Arts and crafts running around, costumes running around, like Lil Wayne and his and his posse is like running around, like because he was the one performing that night, and it was just crazy. And so, uh, you know, I met Pete Pete Davidson on that Friday night, and you know, he was he was really just embarrassed, like he's a he's a nice kid. Yeah, um,
1: yeah, they're all they're all uh, good good folks, right? I mean, you had a good time doing that.
0: Yeah, I didn't meet anybody who I thought was like secretly had some ill will or ill intention. I mean, the the way I described the sort of the kind of micro culture war that occurred with SNL is like, were they going after Republicans in a in a bad faith way? Yes, they were. It's, just, it's kind of just what they do. I mean they go after Democrats too, but they mostly they mostly don't like Republicans. And that's that's just that's just true. But did they did they want to go after a wounded veteran? Like, no, I don't think they meant that. I don't right, think yeah. I don't think Pete meant that. You know, I, I think that was just a mistake. To be a little bit more open to accepting the fact that the people might make some mistakes and misspeak, and that like you don't have to assume the worst intention possible, which is which happens all too often. That's the message of the story behind SNL. And uh, yeah, so we, we go through that that dry run. We you know the, the jokes get tested out, and then we run back. We change a few. You know, these guys like re- redo the cue cards so that because everything is read from cue cards and these are written out by hand and they're like manually uh, shuffled, shuffled through. It's, it's a, it's, there's no like, there's, yeah, there's no. So it's a it, I
1: mean, it's a straight up theatrical performance that, it, that they're just showing live on television.
0: Yeah, it is totally live. Every like the, the scenes are and the, and the sets are, are changed out in real time. I mean, it's, it's totally live. That's cool, man. It, it, it's really interesting to watch that machine take place. 'Cause like and you can literally you can just run it if you, if, you know if you were behind stage, Marcus, you can just run behind the camera and be like, Woo, and run away. And like that would be on TV. Like there's no huh. there's no Noted. Oh, there's no delay. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Noted. Yeah, if you ever get invited. <laughs> yeah, just, just you just run up there. It's crazy. Uh so like it, that's why I'm a the, you know, and and the, they rarely make big mistakes, but when they do, like it's that mistake is on T V. It's not not going anywhere. So it's a cool thing to be a part of, and I'll say the last the last thing that happens. Um, so I, I get done with my skit, right? I'm pretty happy about that. It goes well, obviously, and um, you know my my work is done for the night. I'm just watching the rest of the show from from behind the scenes, and uh, and uh, certain certain guy you might recognize was, was hanging out there named Steven Spielberg, and, and uh, he, he has his own Little booth. Yeah, yeah, he, yeah. He might might have heard of him. Um uh, and he has got his own little section that they, they they let him hang out in. He he happens to be flying through New York. He, he's a fan of the show, so he's he's often there. And uh and we were chatting and uh we we're just, just me and him and he was like, Dan, you got great comedic timing and uh, you know, hell, if you wanted to have a future in Hollywood you could. And I was like, that's the greatest compliment ever from, yeah. from like the perfect person, right? you know, to, to give that kind of compliment. Man. It's one thing if like you told me I was a good actor, I mean I'd be like, well, uh, thanks. Yeah, but you don't know yeah, anything about acting. Right, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but, but Steven Spielberg told me that. So I was like, that's a pretty good compliment. But but the problem was nobody heard it. And so, <laughs> so, <laughs> so, so I so I I saw my wife, Tara, like she was watching the show. She was like across the stage and I motioned for her to come over. I was like, Hey, Tara, this is Steven Spielberg. And uh, he just told me something really great. Mr. Spielberg, can you go ahead and repeat what you just told me? And he, he like looked at me awkwardly. Like, you want me to repeat it? Uh, like, yeah. Repeat the compliment. Cause my wife's here to listen. <laughs> and so he does. So he does. And my Tara like looked at me like, Oh, oh I, I said, he should have been that. like, I don't know what you're talking oh, yeah. about, buddy. <laughs> yeah. I don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> It's like, you could have done better. You could have done better. Dang it. But I have a witness and and Tara wouldn't lie. Tara would not, you know, Tara. Uh, Yes. I love her. This this did happen. This did happen. I promise. And uh, yeah, man, that was the, that was the Saturday night live deal. And then, yeah, everything has been kind of crazy ever since. And, you know, yeah, I guess getting back to your original question, Mel, which is what it's like over the last year. Um, I mean, I got other to compare it to. Obviously, it's 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 not that different than the field teams in the sense that like people are still trying to literally kill me. Yeah, right. So every job I've had, <laughs> every job I've had, <laughs> that's, that's still a thing, uh, which is which is funny. Keeps it interesting. Um, but uh, it's, it's uh you know it's, it's a really divisive Congress. I mean, uh, as we record this right now, I don't know when you're posting it, but today was the day that Nancy Pelosi. Announced that uh, impeachment, to, to, to told her committees to to draw up an articles of impeachment. So you know that's, that's sort of the culmination of of how divisive this this Congress has been, um, and, and that's unfortunate. I, there's 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 certain things that we could get done. There's, there's plenty that we do agree on. I would say that a lot of the bills that that uh, that get 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 put on the floor. You know, you could you could strip out like 20 percent of the things in those bills oftentimes and get Republicans to vote for it. So you could have an 80 percent solution that would maybe make it through the Senate and and get to the president's desk. But that never happened. Uh, it, instead, these are drawn up by what, what I think are you know far left think tanks. They're sold to more moderate Democrats and uh, who, who said they wouldn't be voting for those kind of things. But they do anyway. And uh, and then they go nowhere. So we, you know, you, you pass plenty of bills out of the House, but most of them won't go anywhere because there was never any agreement on or or collaboration on on those kind of solutions. And I think that's that's unfortunate. And uh, this impeachment inquiry is sort of in the height of unfortunate partisanship and conflict that 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 I think has characterized the House thus far. Um, that, that being said, I'm not all negative about it. I, I, I enjoy having an impact and there's other ways that we can make an impact besides legislation. So, you know, for instance, uh, I've got a great team back in the district that does constituent services. I mean, we've, we've done some really cool things for people that have really changed their lives because we have really dedicated staff back there that, uh, that really, Makes us look great because you know people will call in about their VA benefits. They'll call in about a visa, or or you know, I mean, people have been in really dire straits. Uh, one guy, one one man had his his daughter was kidnapped and, and brought to Ireland. We were able to work with the State Department and get her back. I mean, there's there's some really neat things that actually keep you going, um, and, and and make it all worth it.
3: That's crazy. So is there like one thing that you've been super passionate about, but the Democrats are just not letting you move forward with it.
0: Yeah, I would say you know my, one of my big projects early on um, in the term was was the border and uh, you know messaging on on why we need better border security, and uh, unfortunately that that went nowhere, of course. But it's it's important to our constituents, that's for sure. It's important to Texans, and there has been improvements over that uh, because the the president has been able and DHS has gotten its act together and been able to implement some some important reforms that, that that really if i were to simplify the reforms that they're doing it's basically law enforcement we we were unable to enforce the law for a long time so you have know, tens of thousands of people crossing the border and that's actually not the problem right you can't you can't control how many people are are setting foot on from Mexico onto the United States. You'll never be able to control that. Like only the Mexicans can control that. But what you can control is the enforcement that occurs once they set foot on our side, okay? And that's where a huge failure has been this entire time because we've been overwhelmed. We have these quirky laws that that don't quite work well for our border patrol and our our immigration officials. Um, There's been some ways to tweak that to, to provide more resources towards that so that that law is enforced. And I can get into a lot of detail on what exactly those changes are, but but just know that there's been a lot of improvements there, thank God. So, um, you know, in, in March, we were at 140,000 or so people crossing the border, and a lot of those weren't getting turned back. That's, that's the big problem. Yeah. Um, now, you know, it's, it's a catch-and-release program, and it's not good. Um, and, uh, you know, it, we've created an entire – new generation of dreamers, right? You know, that we have to deal with now and and, and that's, it's not clear how that's going to work.
3: But oh, the problem is that they're not all they're not all dreamers. Marcus and I got the opportunity. We went down there. Yeah, we got to go down there too. I know right. you did as well. And we were allowed to go into the detention centers and see for ourselves. I mean, we're not politicians. We have no agenda other than to we were there just checking it all out and supporting the border patrol. But what the most disturbing thing that I saw was the men, the single men with little kids and they had just done a pilot right. program, a DNA pilot program. And it was showed that they were not related to these men. And the border patrol is telling us that they have this rent a kid program that the cartels are doing. That is human trafficking. That is not a dreamer. That's not immigration. That's, Human trafficking. We have to stop this. It made me so disgusted and angry and sad to see that. And oh, I, don't, yeah, I don't understand how correct. anyone can be okay with that.
1: And they look—they like, call it a detention center. It's not, not not prison, not jail. It literally detention is if you were, when you were in high school. It's a it's a building, and we, we watched the whole process. And check it out. If if you live in this country, I mean, if you're a citizen of this country and you're over let's say 70 years old or 60, year old, 60 years old, and someone de- doesn't bring you a brand new toothbrush every morning. I mean, I'm not talking about replacing. I'm talking about bringing you a brand new toothbrush, clean your sheets, wash all of your clothes and TV. All your meals are, are provided for you. If you say that you're sick, two people literally escort you from w- when, you, when you were in detention because you came over illegally. Well, don't even call that. You just didn't use the door. I mean, keep, come in here, just use the door. Anybody who's wanting to come in here, they want to do it the right. If they're really refugees, they will use the door. They won't help. They won't take the chance of crawling all that way and then going through a river and dying. Because the amount of trash, and in, in all of our, my environmental buddies, if y'all knew the trash that was going, that's been dumped into that river, it's amazing. And basically what happens is, imagine if you're standing in line to, to, to get your driver's license. And the minute you get to the counter, a thousand people jump in front of you. And then you go through the line again, and you get up, and you get to sign your name in. But a thousand more jump in front of you. Not only that, they uh they have the there's a a regiment. So if if they don't get, if they come in here and they don't get their phone call within a time, they'll literally sue the the detention center employees. And that like when they were when all those people were were screaming and yelling about how the border patrol agents were bad and and and. Vicious. That is absolute crap. These are the best people in the world, man. And they were bringing their own toys from their own kids and bringing them in there to facilitate these children who you can look in there and see that these kids are just sitting there with a man who's not a dad because a father of their child will protect them completely. These kids are running around everywhere playing and whatnot. And then while these guys literally get processed through there, and if you don't release them on time, they, they'll sue the, the people that are working there. And and all the medical people literally come over to get put in the detention center so they can go to their medical uh, checkups to get their uh, AIDS medicine or whatever it is. So if if you're literally a retired American citizen and you're not getting every benefit that you could possibly think of, it has nothing whether or not we want them over here visiting our property or visiting the land or not. Right. It's all of ours. Right. They it's not the it's the ones that come in here to not even stay just to abuse that part of the system. And then they, they work their way back over and all of those border patrol agents are trying so hard to prevent that. Cause it's like 60 other countries that are pulling through here. And what they do, the cartels will send the kids up the middle because we, they know that we'll, we'll go take care of those children and then they'll run the drugs up the side. But just think about it. Anybody right. who wants to, who comes to visit or, or wants to come over here for a re, a good reason, they will use the door. Or the gate right mm-hmm. they said that uh, that all the, out of all those tens of thousands of people that come over here two percent of them actually have a claim that is viable
0: And about ninety percent don't show up um, when they when they to their to their courts, and Democrats will try to say that. Wait, Democrats will come back with a counterpoint on this one, and and you have to understand what the counter counterpoint is. So they'll say, actually, the statistics show that like ninety nine percent showed up. What they're referencing is a very specific program that costs a lot of money. It was a pilot program, and it only applied to uh, a few thousand illegal immigrants. And yeah, 99% of them showed up because they had ankle bracelets on and it cost about $40,000 per person. So it's not efficient. We're not doing it uh, to, to get them to show up for their court dates. But then remember there's different court dates too. So while a lot of them show up for their first court date, they're not showing up for their second and third and fourth. And they eventually get lost in the system. And this is kind of what I mean by a whole new generation of of, of dreamers, right? Because you're in this, like you said, Mel, like they're, they're trafficking kids through and, when that happens and we identify that, we can send back the adults. So, so single adults that come through the border, our system works okay, actually. Like, they get deported. It's not, that isn't the problem. The problem is the loophole with the kids because of the Flores settlement. There's all these complicated reasons for that, right? There's a Flores settlement, there's rules that we have surrounding minors. So, they know that the kids are their ticket in, which is why they traffic them, okay? And that's why they have that revolving door. Uh, those kids still get lost in the system eventually. Right. And they're and they're not and they're undocumented. And again, you know, 10 years from now, there's going to be a bunch of people uh, advocating for them because, by you know, by the time they're teenagers or in their 20s, like they probably don't speak Spanish that well anymore. They're probably they speak English. They're probably integrated into society, but they're undocumented. And then we have millions of more of these of these people who you know, what what are we supposed to do with them right this the same the same conversation that we're having now with dreamers and but it it all it all it all comes back to this source problem which is we have an open border and we have a cr- catch and release program on top of that and, and and you guys mentioned a couple other things which is how they use the system against us and and how the left helps them use the system against us you know where where our goodwill is taken advantage of and my my big problem with that overall is it's completely unsustainable. Like it it really is just as simple as that. Like that, that should be our argument, our best argument for why we need a secure border and to actually enforce the law because anything less than that is just unsustainable. You know, I, I can, I can tell you that I'm a good person and that I deserve to have, you know, a a room in your house and, and your food and I want to take it. I just, I just want it and I'm a good person. So why can't, why can't I have it? And I want to bring more of my friends and one more and one more and one more. Eventually, you can't. Eventually, it's totally unsustainable. And and you scale that out into into a into an entire country. You know, there there are real costs to to unmitigated migration. It, it's not it's it's not a sustainable prospect. Whether through our court system, through our school system, through our healthcare system. Um, just the number of low in, like low skill jobs that we really have. I think there's good evidence that it drives wages down, especially for low skill workers. That doesn't really hurt people like you and me. Uh, it doesn't hurt people even in the upper middle class, but it does hurt people in the in the lower in the lower skill sectors of, of the economy. So like there, there's real cost to this and consequences. There's also cultural consequences. Like you can't integrate. That many people quickly, like we we are an open arms kind of country. I do believe that anybody in the world can become an American. Sure, but you have to become an but you have to become an American, right? right? And and there's 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 a process to it, and 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 I want that process to be efficient and and you know somewhat not easy, but at least I I want there to be light at the end of the tunnel. But um, what they'll say too is, well, you know they can't go to a point of entry because there's a long line. Well, yeah, yeah. I mean, I don't, I don't disagree with that. There, there's a long line. Um, I, I don't know of any other place in the world where there's not a line. I mean, something's worth having, and there's
1: there'll be a line.
0: Yeah. And, and
1: just imagine right. anything you're standing in uh, uh, to get food or anything, and right when you get to the counter, a thousand people jump in front of you. Well, of course you're going to do whatever you can to get in the system. Right. That's what's so great about this place. If you want to be a part of it, imagine – the pride that comes with actually being an American. And if you're if you were overseas somewhere and someone snatched you up or something, you know that because that you're an American and you're documented, we know that you are, and we'll come get you. We'll send whatever we have to do to come get you. And it's the right. only time you ever have to stand up and acknowledge the fact that you're an American is when we say the pledge. That's why we say it.
0: Yeah, that's exactly right. I mean, it, it means something. And, and you, go to our, uh, you go to our citizenship ceremonies, and they're pretty neat. I mean to watch watch a lot of these people who have worked hard to get their citizenship, and how happy they are to to wave an American flag. It's a pretty cool thing. Oh, we've seen uh, it too. Yeah, bro. I mean,
1: it's amazing. They it's a it's a badge of honor.
3: All right. So we want to hear what you what you're most proud of since you've been in.
0: Well, what are we what are we what are our proudest accomplishments are? Well, I mean, you know, I'll just go. For our for our local listeners, uh, the accomplishments that we're most proud of is what we've been able to do with respect to working with the Army Corps of Engineers and FEMA and uh, and, and getting certain projects started or finished uh, in my district w- with respect to flood mitigation. Uh, that that that's our biggest issue in in Houston. Um, it rains a lot, obviously, and uh, our infrastructure is not up to par. It really hasn't been for. Let's just say forever. Uh, we've, been, <laughs> we've been flooding. We've been we've been flooding for a very long time, and this isn't a new. This is a frustrating thing about this. I, I just got into government, and this isn't a new problem. Uh, you know, like the Some people like to point to climate change. It, it, oh no, this isn't a new problem. We, we've been we've been flooding for a long time.
3: I um, I remember we, specifically. We, we have
0: to do something about it.
3: <laughs> yeah, growing up in Houston, I remember being about eight years old, maybe nine, and I don't remember which hurricane it was. Think Alice, but I don't know for sure. And our neighborhood flooded—totally flooded. The houses didn't flood, but the streets did. There was several feet of water, and the kids all went swimming in the streets. I had no idea that that was sewage
1: water. <laughs> Boom! <laughs> A little muted, an, dysentery for you.
3: As an adult, <laughs> I would be so disgusted yeah, if my kids do were doing that. But <laughs> when we were little, that's what we did, and. I'm alive and I didn't get any infection. But um, yeah, we've been flooding for a very long time.
0: Right. And, um, you know, but, but related to the, to the climate change debate, I will I will hit on this a little bit is um, I think what, what you'll see from Republicans over the next few months is, is a much more um, a much more coherent response to the radicalism of the Green New Deal. I mean, it's, it's, it's really easy to call the Green New Deal foolish and stupid because it is. it is all of those things. Um, it's not based on science. It's not based on engineering. It's not based on good policy. It's not based on economics. It's not based on anything except radical thought um, and emotions. So we can say, oh, I can make a good argument for that. But, but people still want to know, well, well OK, I mean, but but what's your solution? And we do need that. I mean, I think we do have an interest in, in addressing carbon emissions worldwide and, and just basically having cleaner air and better conservation and better water, right? I think everybody generally agrees on that. But there's smarter ways to do it, uh, market-based ways. You know, for instance, um, I uh, I introduced legislation called the Leading Act. Senator Cornyn introduced the same legislation in the Senate. And um, what this does is it repurposes some Department of Energy grant money to be used for carbon capture technology pilot programs in the natural gas space. So, and this isn't pie in the sky thinking. There's there there's a there's a uh, electrical plant just outside of Houston called uh, Net Power. They take in natural gas, they use it to create electricity, they suck up the carbon from that process, and they they recycle it through their systems and power their plant that way. So it's actually zero emissions. Wow, net zero emissions. Um, you know there's there's another coal fired power plant that also reduced its emissions by like. I don't know, some some enormous amount, like capturing the carbon, and then they sell it. People don't realize carbon dioxide is a commodity. It's not a pollutant. I mean, you breathe out carbon dioxide. So to classify it as a pollutant is silly. Um, You need to look at it like a commodity, and there's a lot of people who want to buy it. Greenhouses you know, use the levels of carbon dioxide in a greenhouse are like 14 times normal air because that's what plants thrive in. Uh, that's why the world has gotten greener also. You know, we have higher carbon dioxide levels, but the world has also gotten greener as a result. You know, so climate change has multiple effects. Um, but also, it's used for oil and gas extraction. It's used for growing algae. It's used for all sorts of things. Um, uh, there, there's there's some people who think that you might be able to make gasoline out of it soon. Uh, like, this is the, the, the science is developing towards that. I mean, uh, you use it to make concrete. Deal. like there's there's uses for it so there's smart market-based ways to do this you also have to understand the united states is one of the has, has decreased carbon emissions more than any other country it's like not even close but how have we done that we've done it through natural gas so when elizabeth warren wants to ban fracking uh that would actually increase carbon emissions if you just banned fracking today that would increase carbon emissions because power plants would have to transition to 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 coal oh. um you know yeah, I mean, you, you could spend a ton of money and try to transition to nuclear, and I'm in favor of 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 of, of providing a, a better path towards nuclear. By the way, also, I mean, but but again, the Green New Deal advocates don't want to get rid of nuclear, which is crazy.
3: It's yeah. a zero
0: carbon emission. Oh, so that's how you know they're not serious.
3: They're not happy with anything.
0: No, they're 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 really it's really it's radicalism run amok, and it's it's radicalism that's been normalized. And what it's done is it's it's made logical policy conversation really difficult, because these these people come at you with these crazy ideas, right? That have been debunked forever. Whether it's whether it's hey, we're going to have only wind and solar and live in this kind of utopia green world. Uh, we're going to have socialism. It's going to be great. And you're like, well, those ideas have already been proven not to work. So can we talk about the stuff that might actually work? Maybe. And they're like, no, we yeah. can't talk about that. Yeah, I know it's like we got to we, we, we got to set our we got to set goalposts way over here. you want and socialism, and you guys aren't even
1: social enough to to get along right now.
3: Well, it's funny because the no, that's true. <laughs> those who you know, what
1: I mean, it's just like you just you're yelling at yelling at us to get that done. How's it going to be if you know? As long as you stay in line, no one will yell. Well, how many humans do you put together before somebody wants to act like a fool?
3: Yeah, or well, doesn't. Yeah. I mean, it comes down to the people that complain about climate change the most are the people living in the cities, creating the most pollution. I mean, there's, we, Marcus and I, live out in right. the country. We're on lots of land. We care very much about the environment. Yeah. We plant trees. We we're encourage our about kids.
1: That. Yeah, the, the liberal the millennials the bees, and stuff like that. They love being outside, working with the animals. Like, you're not a liberal. You're a farmer. You're just like us, man. Just they've told you that we're yeah. in some way different, but we're not. We. All the animals would take yeah. care of them, right. take care of the environment out here to make it a a better place. But for some yeah, reason, the, the they hypo- just
0: the hypocrisy is infuriating.
3: Yeah, well, it's just crazy because they don't I don't know they just don't listen and they don't think simple minded. They they think extreme, radical, and not just like okay, what can right. I do to make a difference and now, not I, worry about everybody else. We all
1: get the weather change thing, but yeah. we got to have the steps to get that. You can't just if it if it took. A long time for, that, for it to swing that way. It's going to have to be a, a long time to get it back around.
0: Yeah, and that's another point when you're in this debate is, is the cost benefit. I mean, what you're, what you're saying there is, yeah, you know, you could you – could, let's say we implemented a Green New Deal and we got it implemented within 10 years. So let's set aside the economic effects of that, which would be extremely dire, by the way. I mean, extremely dire. But, let's, but, but hey, we'd have zero emissions. So let's say the U.S. had zero emissions within the next 10 years. The U.S. emits 15% of carbon dioxide in the world. So that's what you're doing. You're, you're getting rid of 15% of carbon dioxide. China and India are still doing their thing. Developing countries will continue to increase their emissions because they want to lift their people out of poverty, so they're, they're going to use what energy needs they're, they're going to use. Uh, 15% reduction by, by, by the IPCC, which is the U.N.'s own numbers. You're talking by 2100, you're talking a decrease in temperature by like 0.15 degrees Celsius. Which is really not that different from zero. So what's the point? You know, so like right. what's the actual? I'd love to, to see here? actually so, how
1: they got those numbers. Like I, I want to see exactly yeah, well, how they, you got that number.
0: They they use a bunch of computer modeling, and you know, and that, that's the other problem with their computer modeling is you change a couple of parameters that are you know within within reason, and you vastly change the outcomes. So that's why that's why I thought so it's hard to take a lot of these predictions seriously. If anybody if any scientist being honest with you they they would just say well we're not really sure what the effects of higher temperatures will be. Well, I mean, uh, yeah. you know, you might be this, you might see this, it, it's hard it's hard to specifically attribute one event to, to this kind of change. I mean, it's a very complicated mess. I mean, is there some kind of climate change going on? Yeah, sure. I mean, I think we can see that. Um, but, but how, the question is how we adapt to that and whether we should destroy an economy in order to adapt to that. Like that, that's the real question that we have to be answering. And, and that's why I looked at technology driven solutions, because if you're looking at technology driven solutions like these carbon capture technologies I was just talking about, if you're looking at exporting natural gas to countries like China and India that are largely burning coal, well, you're actually doing something that will work and you're focusing on 100% of the problem as opposed to just the United States which is 15% of the problem. So you have to you have to leverage the strength of the United States and our strength is innovative capacity and and getting that innovation out there to the rest of the world is is you know is how we actually uh reduce emissions and 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 then and then we have to be realistic about what reducing emissions will look like it it won't change we're not going to all have weather like San Diego all of a sudden which kind of seems to be like the the, the case that, that the left likes to sell you. you know? Sorry it, you moved from California this, to Texas. There's going to be
3: tornadoes and, and hurricanes weather. constantly.
0: Yeah. Well, I mean, <laughs> yeah, yeah, well, you,
1: said, you said it just perfect is that the, the, the scientists who calc- use the numbers that are calculated by the computer, the, the computer, the one thing it can't do is reason. It doesn't have that, that, right. that humans have, that, that component. And, when, and you can't, if you take that computer model and try and strap it down on, on the human race, it doesn't, there's a missing piece.
0: No, and and they twist the data around. You know, we had a hearing on this, which was really interesting, and we had it in the budget committee um, of all places, but it was was about the cost of of climate change. And what they'll try to do is they'll attribute costs to heat-related deaths. Okay, so that's interesting. So what they're saying is that as it gets hotter, there's going to be more heat-related deaths, and then they attribute a cost to that. And that's the vast majority of costs, by the way. The vast majority is deaths. But- once you dig into their numbers and we had another witness on our side, who was like, just, who just totally debunked these nonsense numbers. They're like, by your analysis, you're saying that Philadelphia will get almost as hot as Houston, right? Not as hot as Houston is now, but almost as hot, like 50 years from now, because it's Philadelphia and it's just not as hot as Houston. We know that we're from Houston. Um, and then, and then what they're saying is that in 15 years, the heat-related deaths in Philadelphia will be like 30 or 40 times what they are in Houston now. Now, that doesn't make any sense at all, does it? Like, so it's not at all. Yeah, and when
1: you don't understand it, they're like, well, you're just not smart enough to understand the numbers. I'm like, no, that's not what that means. It just means that that didn't make sense.
3: I love your videos that you do on Instagram that just breaks it down to every every day every person can understand what the bills are and all that i think that's super cool that you do that um yeah
1: you're a government teacher good i mean
3: <laughs> it's really cool that's um because otherwise we have no idea what's going on in congress we have no idea what y'all do and um i just think it's really neat that you you bring that to your followers and let us see the behind the scenes on that but the big thing is what are y'all doing for christmas
0: Oh, I don't know. Maybe hang out with you guys. Come on. Come on. Um, <laughs> we haven't figured out plans yet, to be honest. Um we got we we do have to figure that out. Um I don't know, but yeah, the yeah, the Latrell's place is yeah. quite nice. Bring I like it on. hang out up there.
3: Well Marcus um, is really into cooking now. He'll make you a prime rib and you and Tara and the dogs whoa. come out and
0: Good casserole.
3: Yeah. I'll, made made I'll... by
0: Marcus Bacroft. <laughs>
3: <D'Trail. laughs> He's really good. <laughs> I it's, just... Like I
1: said, bro, this is the awesome part of life. If, if guys had this part figured out in the beginning, whew, man, we'd have a little less scars. I'd just wake up in the morning, you know, kids off, wife goes off to work, work around the house, clean the kitchen, do some vacuuming, cook some dinner.
3: The funniest thing <laughs> is he, Marcus started cooking by watching YouTubers and these YouTubers that cook are so different. And he'll sit there. And it's a
1: diverse crowd. I call them real... my intel officers.
3: Yeah. I mean, it's really funny. But he sits there and argues with the, with the YouTuber as he's cooking. Oh, really? Oh, my gosh. What it?
0: Do they respond back, Marcus? Sometimes.
3: <laughs> <laughs> no, but it's so funny. One of them is uh, this. He's gay and he's Jewish. And he's always like bringing in sexual innuendos with this food and he'll talk about his big sausages and marcus is like shut up jeffrey just get to get to the next bar keep it in the kitchen <laughs> it's so funny i love it i just i think we should have a marcus youtube video or a youtube channel of him watching the youtubers cook
0: guy can cook. It's great. Oh I mean, I, yeah. That'd be amazing. But
3: yeah. it's, his, it's his conversations that he's having, one-sided conversations he's having with these people that's so funny. But the food is amazing, and uh, you and Tara should come out for it.
0: Maybe we will. Maybe we will. Try Marcus's famous cooking. I like that idea, man. I don't get to cook at all anymore. I, there was a time in my life where I cooked a little bit more. Well, yeah, well, but, I, yeah, yeah, I had I'm the Foreman grill, grill too, buddy.
1: Yeah, I remember the Foreman grill.
3: Well, what can we, um, what can we plug for you? What do you have going on right now that that you want to tell the listeners about?
0: Oh, boy. I plugged a lot of it. I mean, you know, hey, I mean, you mentioned those here's the truth videos. I appreciate that. Um, we love doing those. We'll, we'll, we'll keep them up. Um, it's, it's a great way to just inform people. I mean, you, you got to see – I think people in Congress often see their roles as either one or the other, right? You're, they're either like a, they're always on the media or they're just behind the scenes doing legislation, but they don't really – tell anybody about the work they do and, you know, they get punished for it. You, you've got to have a healthy balance of, of both of those. You, you've got to be accomplishing things, but you also have to be telling people like what you're accomplishing. And that means, you know, getting out there and getting on social media and and, um, and, and reaching out to the youth. I mean, you know, what's interesting is, do so you like those videos on Instagram? Uh, if you were over 50, you'd probably tell me you like watching, you know, my Fox News hits. So you've got it. You've got to do all of it in order in order to reach everybody because the older generations they they want to watch TV, right? But young people like like me, like I don't I don't have cable, you know. I I, I just have Netflix. Like that's that's when I'm when I'm at home. Like that's what I'm watching. Um, well, yeah, I actually you know, I do watch Fox
3: too. I see you on both.
0: <laughs> yeah. you got both. Yeah, but that's rare. But that's rare. So it's just it's always interesting to to hear from from different voters and see like what they like to see. And you've got to reach everybody and um, you know, you've know you got to have different formats to reach everybody. And like, it's, it's just important, especially with the youth because the youth are generally leaning left. And uh, I think, I think if you talk to them deeply about a lot of policies, they might agree with us a lot more, but um, they don't even know what we think. So it's a challenge, but I like, I like going to college campuses and high schools and, and talking to kids and spreading the message.
1: Well, brother, we'll keep doing that. Uh, one quick question: What's
0: your IG handle? Uh, Dan Crenshaw TX, and that's same on uh, Twitter. And uh, you know, I've got two Twitter accounts: one official, one campaign. And follow me on both because they're both great. There's two <laughs> Facebook <laughs> accounts. I have one. Absolutely have wonderful. One Instagram account. Yeah, one Instagram account. Dot uh, Dan Crenshaw TX.
3: We love it. We love everything you do and uh yeah really.
1: brother great job man and we'll see you for christmas hug yes. the missus tell everybody up there
0: we said howdy all right will do hey great to be on with you guys again yeah yep. right.
3: talk soon
2: all right guys it's time for another listener story and this week our listener story is titled postpartum and it is written in by thomas thomas thanks for sharing your story i have been listening to the t&q podcast for the last month or so and have thoroughly enjoyed the stories and motivation I've struggled with wanting to write this story, not only because of the trauma it caused our family, but because I was not sure if it qualified for the Team Never Quit podcast. The more I listened, the more it pulled in my heart to share the story. At our 19-week ultrasound for our second son, we discovered that something was wrong with my son, and we were sent to a level 2 ultrasound. Now, if you've never been to a level 2 ultrasound, saying that it is intense is an understatement. They measured everything from brain cavity fluid to blood flow. This is how we discovered that my son would be born with clubfoot. Now, our son was born on August of 2016 and within seven days was in dual casts from his toes up to just above his knees. This would be the start of a 10-week series of casting on a weekly basis to correct the club foot and have been in what's called boots and bar since then and will be every night until he is five years old. This was a high anxiety diagnosis for my wife and resulted in many doctor's appointments and chiropractor appointments for my son on his first few months of life. The midwife we used identified that my wife had the baby blues and began her on a medication for postpartum. Now, I was naive to the severity of this condition and the internal struggle that my wife was battling on a daily basis. It came to a head when my wife, crying in the psychologist's office, was recommended for an inpatient therapy targeted at postpartum moms at a nearby hospital. My wife went in voluntarily and spent nine days in this specialized unit and got out on Christmas Eve. She was so dead set on getting out for the holidays that she had tricked the doctors and herself into thinking she had overcome those suicidal thoughts. A few days later, she was crying on the floor in the kitchen and we had to go back to the hospital via the emergency room. On this stint, she spent 21 days on the ward. She came out of the hospital and back home, but she wasn't really present. We referred to it as a fog. Over the next three years, we battled the ups and downs of managing life with mental health and the triggers that would set off the suicidal thoughts and feelings for days to weeks at a time. In August of 2019, we celebrated my son's third birthday. It's been a long road to this day and served as a moment to celebrate on multiple fronts. On this day, my wife was finally taken off all her medications for postpartum depression and suicidal thoughts, and now she's back. My wife is a never-quit story. For many months, she had planned on ways to commit suicide. As we passed Veterans Day, this sat heavy on my heart, knowing the Mission 22 focus and the number of veterans, and civilians for that matter, dealing with mental health issues, as well as those who are supporting those loved ones struggling. For those of you struggling, please seek help. Never quit. It is worth the fight, and there are people who love you and are here to support you. Sometimes we get shackled at birth with, with
1: kind of anomalies that we, you look at, and it's a, kind of considered a hindrance, but in reality, it's, it's there for a reason, because of how strong you're going to become so third birthday i hope you have many more kind of, remember uh forrest gump that's the first thing that popped in my head when your legs are messed up then eventually you turn into a football player a war hero so don't let anything like that keep you back and it sounds like you've got awesome parents and they're pushing you in the direction that you need to go and that that postpartum stuff i mean women hats off to y'all y'all go through so much more stuff than we have to just to make this work seriously it's a uh, it's something. It's unbelievable.
2: But thank you for sharing that. Yeah, Thomas. Thanks for sharing your story. You know, the fact that you and your wife, you know, were able to, you know, take this experience and although it was a hard time, especially for those first three years, you know, and your wife went through a lot with postpartum. The fact that she came out stronger at the end and she'll continue to 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 fight the good fight going forward. You know, it's amazing to have those those opportunities to just see what you're made of. And so, you know, I hope all continues to go well for your family. Hope your son continues to improve every year. Hope he has many more birthdays, and hope your wife continues to fight the good fight and never quit.
1: It definitely lets you know what you're capable of. After you go through some trials like that, it just when other things present themselves in front of you, if it can't do to you what the
2: past has done, then uh, don't worry about it. It's just white noise. Hey, we love it when you share your stories. You can actually share your story over at teamneverquit.com slash podcast. Click the share your story button up in the navigation. Your stories inspire others to never quit, and uh, we love sharing these stories. We love reading the stories. It's why we do what we do. Man, it was really cool to have Dan back on the show. I didn't get the pleasure to be involved in the first interview, but I've I've listened to it, and it's amazing. And he seems like a really amazing guy, and so it was cool to have him on the show today. Oh, yeah. I, I'm i proud of him, man. He did the way he went about it, he's a, he's classy, man. Like whenever that whole SNL stuff went down, just like the fact that he wasn't super offended. Well, yeah, it's comedy, and that's the problem I yeah. think is
1: comedy is only kind of going one direction these days. And with SNL, they're they're brilliant. I mean, I've loved that show since I was a kid. As the week goes through on Saturdays, you tune into them so they can uh, bring a little levity to what's going on in, in our our big family. And when they when. Only one side's getting picked on, you know. The comedy's going one way. When you try to throw it another, they think they're getting picked on. It's just it's just not the case, and and we we truly need you guys to to do what you do, just like we need our uh, Dan, you know, doing his job. And then it, it, he he was prepped for that being in the teams. I mean, I, that that was brilliant. I, I, I love that. That's how it should be. I mean, we all at the very least can should be able to to laugh with each other, not at each other, because yeah. we all. Man, we all make mistakes. We all do dumb things trying to make this big thing work. So uh, never forget that.
3: Something that I've learned um, in the last nine years, nine and a half years being around team guys, is they have an awesome sense of humor. And they really, they use it to communicate. They use it to get through things. Um, so it was very fitting for him to be on SNL. And I love Dan. I love what he's doing for um for the local uh district that he represents and just in Washington in general I think he his freshman year has been uh, because of his SNL kind of just leaped him into the public eye um he- I- <laughs> he's used it really well though and he's used his platform use that
1: eye uh, real well
3: <laughs> <laughs> he's uh, anyway you, you get what I'm
2: saying I did a good SNL skit <laughs> oh
3: my gosh um.
2: make sure you guys follow him on Instagram especially like if you want to have like just a little of insight into what's going on with politics it can be really like overwhelming especially like for younger folks like it's hard to like digest all that's going on on the news and I think Melanie mentioned it in the interview, but like he does a really great job of making these digestible videos on Instagram that are really easy to understand and they're relatable. So you can follow him on Dan Crinshaw TX on Instagram. Humor
1: is the best medicine for life. That's why it exists truly. And, and you're right. If, if you don't have a, if you can't find the humor in every situation, I mean, and, and you kind of look, then that, I tell, you know, someone's just truly being mean. And uh, my grandmother used to call it being ugly. But, yeah, Dan, thanks again, brother. We'll see you uh, you for
2: the holidays. Yeah, if you guys like this show, make sure you share it with a friend. We drop new episodes every single Wednesday. We do it for you guys. Obviously, this episode is actually airing on a Thursday because yesterday was Christmas, but every Wednesday. Merry
3: Christmas, everybody.
1: (laughs) Merry Christmas. Again, we can't thank y'all enough for, uh, for listening and being part of the team. It's growing every day. The, uh, the people that we're helping and recruiting in here, it's, it's building something that's um, truly exceptional. Button, thank you so much for being a part of this and letting us, letting us do this. It's an amazing thing. T, Andrew, uh, and to everybody who keeps listening and keeps coming back, man, we love you guys so much. We hope that y'all have a, a, mer- a very Merry Christmas.
3: And I like I'm just a sub here, but I love uh, when I do get to the sub what in You're not for, a sub. Yeah, you wife. <laughs> I'm subbing in for Morgan, and um, but I do love this community. I'm very involved behind the scenes, and um, and I look at everybody's comments, and uh, it really means a lot when people say that that this podcast helps them get through tough days, and um, just keep sharing that feedback with us. And we really appreciate it. And we hope that you become part of our Patreon community.
2: See you guys next week. We're out.